0: This is Impressive
1: Growth Masters, the podcast created by marketers for
0: marketers. Keep up to date with everything from retail to tech and beyond. Join your host, Robert Tadros,
1: in conversation with CEOs, CMOs, and the true masters of business and growth marketing.
0: Hello and welcome to the Growth Masters Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Tadros. Joining me on the show today is Cameron Lawson, the General Manager of Marketing and Digital at Best Friends Pets. Previously, Cameron was the Head of Digital Marketing at both Forever New and Cotton On, He served two years at each each organization prior to that he was a business director at chanel a wealth of experience and i can't wait to start the conversation cameron welcome to the show my friend cam cameron which one do you prefer uh call me cam all righty cam well let's get straight into it man and i like to set the scene right so let's let's imagine this so you walk into you get invited to dinner you end up at um, let's pick. What's your favorite restaurant? Just because I can't think of
1: anything else at the moment. Let's say Smith and Davis.
0: <laughs> Done. So you rock up there. You meet. You know, you're in a room of ten people who you've never met before, mm-hmm. and one of them turns around and says, "So, you know, Cam, what do you do? Mm-hmm. What's your? I'm going to call it the elevator pitch, right? Yeah. What's your response? So
1: I work for a pen company, and my my role is to ensure that all of Pet parents out there get to look after their loved ones through food, through supplies, through treatment, through health and wellness, um, because we love our pets and we want to make sure they have the absolute best.
0: I love it. And in the business world, what would you refer to that to that role as? So, I'm, my my
1: business title is I'm a I'm a general manager of marketing and digital for Best Friends Pets and My Pet Warehouse. So we own. Uh, stores. Uh, We have shop fronts of around 80 stores across Australia over the two brands. And we really tried to provide a full service for all of our pets and our pet parents from retail to grooming to our vets to puppy school and all of the things that come along with that.
0: Very nice. Very nice. And as a GM of marketing, uh, assuming you're across the full spectrum, from above the line, digital, the whole lot of it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I look after within that area, I look after uh, digital marketing. So performance marketing, um, kind of brand marketing activations. I look after the marketing. So all of the activity that we do to drive traffic, both in-store and online, graphic design, as well as e So how we can ensure that the experience is as, as good as possible for our customer to get them to to get to get that first shop and then to drive the retention of the advocacy
0: you mentioned there a uh, a term which I'm a big fan of because given that we run a performance marketing agency. Mm-hmm. You mentioned performance marketing, and I, I saw there through the profile, obviously, in, in the introduction, you've been in the game for quite a while. You know, you work worked for some big brands from, you know, Cotton On to Forever New, Chanel, you know, I'm keen to talk about that because that I'm sure would have been very exciting, Nike, American Express. So you've got a very diverse background or experience on multiple categories and mm-hmm. different verticals. Do you find that, you know, is marketing marketing? irrespective of which category or vertical you're in? Or do you feel that you need to adapt to that particular category? I think, I think marketing is
1: marketing, right? In that yeah. what you're trying to do is you're trying to make somebody feel a particular way. And you're trying to sell a product and a service to somebody who needs that product and service, whether they know they need it or not. So I think marketing is marketing in that aspect in that you're you're trying to drive the same outcome. But there's nuances, right, in depending where you work, the type of customer that you're trying to acquire and how you communicate to those customers, right? So, for example, if I think about when I worked at Chanel, it was about marketing was driving the dream, right? It was getting people inspired and feeling like to elevate their life there's a particular product or a particular type of lipstick or a particular handbag that they absolutely coveted that they needed right so no one needs a new handbag you buy a handbag because you're desperate you can't imagine your life without it whereas working for a pet company which is fmcg it's very much a practical purchase right you have a dog your dog needs to eat. Your dog needs to have flea, tick and worming treatment. So how can you communicate to that customer in a way that you are telling them what they need before they need it, preferably, but then also making sure that the way that they can purchase is as easy, is as convenient and is as seamless as possible. But I think marketing is marketing.
0: Which kind of leads me to my second point, right? Do you, do you feel or do you believe that over the last 18 months, the landscape has dramatically changed? Oh absolutely. I
1: mean everybody has been able to see that shift right from a very top level point of view just the shift from store to online sales, right? So I worked I worked in the UK for a long time, so I was in the UK for about 10 years and when I left online was really driving 30 to 40% of sales, right for most most enhanced successful businesses. I came to Australia and I was surprised by just how low the online penetration was for at least the industries that I was in, it was it was like sitting at five ten percent. The last eighteen months, there's been a complete shift, right? So you've seen that movement go from store to online, partly because um, stores are being closed for a lot of that time, right? So the same access has not been. Available And then also because people just have different shopping behaviour because they may not want to have left their house or they may not have been able to leave their house or they just may have just felt like it was a more convenient way to shop at that particular time, right? Whether we see that trend continue once we come out of lockdown is to be seen. Probably it will go back down because people will be excited to be able to walk into stores again. But that's been a, a very simple way to show the change and the shift, right, in customer behaviour. As a second point, I think people have started to reevaluate their lives, right, in that we've gone through this situation which is unprecedented for all of us. We've spent a huge amount of time at home. We've spent a huge amount of time with a very small social circle of people, and I think we're being more conscious about where we spend our money, who we spend our money with, and who we think we want to do business with and who we don't think that we want to do business with, right? So perhaps it's I only want to support Australian businesses, right? Whether it be because I want to support the local industry or because I'm concerned about what comes from abroad. Maybe it's I want to just support my local high street, right? Everybody's doing it tough. I want to make sure that my money is going back into the areas that are the most important to me. So I think people are a lot more mindful and considerate about where they're spending their money.
0: And there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of cash in the community at the moment, mm-hmm. right? You know, again, where you know no one's been traveling to work, so you know there's no fuel expenses. Yeah. No one's been going out to buy lunch, so we're spending a lot of you know a lot of time at home, and 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 so on. So, do you, do you see that the consumer behaviour in the online ecosystem has has changed over the last six eighteen months?
1: So yes, there's definitely more money in the market, right? Because I think unless you're working in those specific industries where there's been a real impact or you haven't been able to work because of lockdown restrictions, everybody has been able to kind of continue on their merry way. They're just not going into the office. They're just working remotely, right? So that subset of the population, the the same money is coming in and there's just less opportunity to, to spend that money, right? Because all of those discretionary purchases are are changing, right? Like I used to walk down the street yeah. and I would go into Chemist Warehouse. I'd go into another store and you just buy stuff, right? Because that's just the way that we um, interacted. So that doesn't that doesn't happen so much now because there's less opportunity to do that. So if I think about my own personal spend behavior, I purchase less because I I, I need less, right? Like I've worked for fashion brands. I don't think I bought an item of fashion for close to two years because there hasn't been any point, right? But I have re I've pivoted a lot of my spend in other places. Yeah. So I spend more on my on my kids because they have more time at home. So books and toys and all of those things. I spend more on my dogs, and that's certainly what we've seen within the pet industry over the last 18 months. People had a lot more time. They had a lot more uh, disposable income, so what do they do? They all go out and they buy puppies and kittens and everything that comes along with that, right? And I have more time to research my decisions, right, my purchasing decisions because I have more time at home. So I'm happy to spend more because I'm purchasing less and then I'm more considerate about what I what I purchase and where I purchase it from.
0: So how, how has that behaviour influenced the overall i guess customer journey in your current role you're finding that that initial sort of research piece there's a lot more uh production of content or are you finding that there is more a lot more emphasis on the awareness component just given the amount of touch points now that that initial sort of awareness piece is probably being expanded to so i think it's a
1: combination of all of that right so a lot of Talking earlier about the the the, um, the shift from online from store to online sales, a lot of places or for a lot of customers, the way that they would research a product is by going into the store and then asking the sales associate or looking at the product themselves, and then researching the product that way and deciding whether they want to purchase it or not. That vehicle hasn't been available in a lot of instances, right? So you have to go online. So you have to try and replicate the experience for customers who would walk into a store and the experience that they would get through the sales associates with what they could get with online, right? So you're thinking about... um, Not just the aspirational content, like why do they need the product, but really the fundamentals. So from a pet perspective, it's the ingredients, it's the measurements, it's whether it's organic, whether it's natural, whether it's super super premium, right? So making sure that the customer, you're providing as many answers to the customer's potential questions as you possibly can, right? Because the more you can, the more that you can sell the product online, the more likely you are to get that customer to convert right and then you've got the brand awareness piece because people were out and about left. so you mentioned the point about no one having to commute right no one having to buy their petrol so a lot of the vehicles that you would have to build brand awareness don't make as much sense anymore so whether it be a billboard that you buy on punt road like the visibility just went right down The radio, booking the radio slots for like a national campaign, again, it didn't necessarily get the same cut through that it once did. So looking at all of the marketing activity that you're doing and trying to understand where is the customer likely to be? How can I get in front of that customer? And for the last 18 months, the customer has been online. So that's the best way to get in front of them.
0: So how how is that, I guess, how have you been able to pivot a lot of your channels in the online space, right? Like even just taking that example you mentioned there around, you know, outdoor advertising, for instance, has there been any activity in, you know, the display network or like running programmatic radio, for example? Has there been much, have you shifted a lot of that in in the online ecosystem?
1: The majority of our marketing spend is digital focused already because all of the research that we do highlights that customer's research online and drive install so the the whole strategy that we have for the business is to really to treat the customer like an omni-channel customer because like most brands they are our most valuable subset of customers so they're the ones that we want to both retain as well as acquire new ones so focusing on those but then also thinking about how we can find more of the same type of customers so with the pet industry we were fortunate right in that up until very recently all of our stores remained open it wasn't until the ACT changed their rules and then New South Wales changed their rules that some of our stores had to close and only be available for click and collect so we were fortunate in that we we could can still continue to drive traffic into the stores right and that i think is one of the primary reasons why the pet industry saw such phenomenal growth over the last 18 months, because the barriers to entry weren't the same as perhaps they were for other brands. But we definitely need to be smart about where we spend. So knowing that the objective is to get the customer online, we we do a lot around programmatic. So we work with a performance agency. They book all of our programmatic, both from a performance perspective, as well as more from a brand activation perspective. Huge focus across paid search because it's it's a convenience product, right? And the way that the pet industry operates, and he's one of the the pet industry people, hello Bluey, is it's you you're most cases you're agnostic to the brand that you buy from, right? So whether it be pet stock or whether it be pet Barn or whether it be best friends pets as a customer you don't care so much about the brand that you're purchasing from but as long as the product that you want is available right so blackhawk food hills food etc right so google search is great for us because usually the customer is typing into the search engine the exact product that they want to have The Google Shopping ads will come up and then the customer will choose based on the brand recognition or the price of that product or whether that product is on promo at that particular time, right? So we've done a lot of work over the last 18 months in optimizing our product feed, tightening up our product notes, tightening up our product descriptions, optimizing the product feed so we have the best possible chances to show, but also to make sure that we're optimizing towards where our product and category is the the strongest and the most price sensitive at that particular time. We, we do a lot of activity across paid social. So people are home. They've got a lot more spare time. What are you doing? Everybody's across Instagram and everybody's across Facebook, right? So we invested in a marketing automation platform to be able to run all of our marketing activity in a much more efficient way. So pulling through custom audiences, syncing them automatic or syncing them in real time with our um, like our Facebook business accounts, our Google accounts, and then upweighting bids and then excluding and creating lookalikes based on customer groups that we have, right? So that, that was always a focus from a digital marketing strategy, but certainly something that we have um, focused on more over the last 18 months because that's the opportunity, that's where the customer is, and that's where you want to get in front of that customer. And then we look at brand moments throughout the course of the, the year, when it makes sense to to look at more above the line activity. Because we still do above the line activity. We'll still book billboards, we'll still run radio, we'll look at geo or sort of local geo-targeted activity based on store locations to drive that footfall. It's just for us trying to get the balance right.
0: And have you experienced the shortage in uh, particular product lines or particular categories? Oh, yeah where, absolutely I'm assuming right like everybody else and has there been an opportunity as well it's almost like the second layer to this question for you to almost steal competitors customers or customers from your you know customers from your competitors just because the competitor didn't have their particular product but you did yeah absolutely
1: so we and i mean this is this is not specific to us this is all good brands are doing this you're looking at The skew count that you have versus the competitor's skew count, you're looking at the prices you have versus your competitors' prices, and then you're looking at the categories that you're winning and the categories that you're losing in, right? And then the merchandise or the category team will work through those opportunities to identify where you can get the most bang for your buck, right? Because the first thing you want to do is you want to drive more to your strengths, right? So if you've got a category that's working particularly well, it's at a really sharp price point, you know that the customer sentiment around that product or category is really strong, that's where you want to be focusing your marketing spend, right, because you know that you're going to get a good result and you're going to get a good return on it. When you've got a category that perhaps is not as competitive to your competitor set, so perhaps the range isn't the same, perhaps the price isn't the same, that that isn't necessarily going to be a focus from a marketing perspective, but... If that category or product goes on to a really sharp discount, then again, that's when you'd be investing your money. And that's when you'd really be trying to drive your visibility over a particular time when you are really sharp in the market, right? Because the aim of the game is to drive the acquisition because pets, huge industry growth, huge growth year on year. So everybody is trying to get that first shop and then you drive the retention through your own channels to get the repeat shop, right? So that is something that we do. I think to answer your question around gaps or you know, when they're out of stock trying to, to upweigh your bids to, to capture traffic, absolutely, we always try and see what the competitors are doing. The last 18 months, everybody's had experiences of stores having to close because of lockdowns or COVID cases or distribution centers having to close. And they're all opportunities to acquire customers. So it's about really trying to keep an eye on what the competitors are doing and then identify the opportunities when they present themselves and then just work as quickly as you can.
0: So with that, do you feel that the market will correct itself coming into 2022? Or do you feel as though the growth will continue at the same trajectory? I mean, who knows? I It's, <laughs> it's a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's like really who knows? Who knows? Um, I yeah. think that... If we if we focus on online, I think that you're, you're the core online shopper will remain the core online shopper. Right? Like, I'm a customer. I'm a native. I'm a, a native digital customer. A lot of the ways that I purchase products is online. That's not going to change. You're also going to get customers who used to shop in store who now shop online, who have decided for whatever reason the experience is often better if they shop online. You'll keep some of those customers, right? I don't think we'll see the same growth in the next 12 months that we've seen within the pet industry. That's just my personal hunch. Um, I would love to be proven wrong. And I think next year when people can travel again, people are going back into the office. We've kind of gone back to a level of normality. I think things will reset to a baseline. It's just how different that baseline is to what we've currently got. That That's to be... That's to be seen.
0: No, I totally agree with you. And reflecting, I guess, on the past, even just this, this, this most recent lockdown, you know, what's been the biggest surprise that you've had and why? The biggest surprise that I've had? I'm sure there's probably been a few. Well, I, I think from a personal <laughs>
1: perspective, it just felt like an incredibly tough lockdown, right? And I think yeah. from a, the thing I was most surprised about from a personal point of view was that it was just the hard slog that it was. I think from a professional perspective, what we had seen in the past with lockdowns was that each lockdown spend behaviour shifted in a particular way, right? The first lockdown, we saw a massive run on product. The second lockdown, we saw just an increase in online sales, just a, a real gradual increase in online sales. And we've certainly seen that, over the lockdown, that online sales continued to grow, certainly off the back of Victoria and New South Wales being in a lockdown at, this, at the same time. Um, but I, I think with this lockdown, for Victoria at least, because we had gone through it so many different times, I didn't see the same shift in customer behaviour across the data points that we had versus the previous ones. And I think it was because... Number one, had been the sixth lockdown, so everybody was very used to it. And I think everybody at this point had already established a new way of living. And so when we went from being in partial lockdown to complete lockdown again, it didn't drastically disrupt people's everyday lives because they were already quite different. In New South Wales, of course, that was different. I think online sales in New South Wales were the highest ever they'd ever been in September Mm -hmm. because that was a relatively new thing for those guys to go through. But in Victoria, we just didn't see the same type of response that we'd seen in previous lockdowns.
0: No, I totally agree with those comments. And I think looking at, you know, the, the behavior and, you know, I guess the, the 18 months that we've just, we've just gone through in 2022 is going to be a very, very interesting, it's going to be an interesting time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think to your point before around, you know, the change in consumer behavior, a lot of those, you know, including like my mother and, and, and my father, you know, who are very old school retail shoppers would go in. This whole online, online world was very foreign to them to, yeah. to, to, to a degree. Now to them going through the entire experience all online. Right. You know, like from buying couches the other day, my mom was telling me, you know, she was so hesitant and was so scared yeah. to purchase a couch online. Cause like, I haven't felt it. I haven't seen it. I don't know what this thing even looks like. What if I get the wrong color? Yeah. You know, but what I'm seeing more and more now is that behavior is, is changing you know, with, you know, a lot of brands offering, you know, hassle-free returns. And, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, comfort and guarantees around being able to return something if it's not the right color, if it's not the right size or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, So I I totally agree with you. I think the behavior going into next year will be some of those will remain in the online environment. Some will go back to their old ways of doing things, Yeah, the traditional retail feeling it, touching it. And then perhaps the shift there is then they'll make the purchase online. But I guess it's, you know, who knows, right? We get to, to to see what what's going to happen in twenty twenty
1: two. Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: Cam, marketing is an ever changing landscape, right? How do you keep up with what what's happening out there in the in, in the marketing world? What do
1: I do? So, I think there's a few things. So, we we work with different agencies across different channels, and um, I've always seen agencies as the subject specialists across their prospective area. So. We always try to make sure that they're sharing as much of the inside and as much of what's going on in the marketplace as we as they possibly can. I and I haven't done it as much recently, but I try and do networking events as much as I possibly can. I, I, I guess I'm in a stage in my career where I'm more interested in the, the business side of things and the marketing sides of things. I have people in my team now who are much more subject specialist experts than I am. So you'll have people who are experts at paid search or you'll have people who are experts at the social activity, right? So I really rely on those guys to come to me with suggestions on how we can do things better, how we can make things better. I'm really interested in how we can operationally change a business, right? How we can drive more profit, how we can make sure that we are focusing on the right things to get the best outcome for the business, and then the other area that I really try and keep an eye on is just the customer sentiment. So my experience has taught me that the most valuable resource that you can have in relation to how your business is performing are your customers, right? What they're saying about your brand, what they're saying across NPS scoring, what they're saying across customer service, right? That is the best way to understand that the, the pain points and be able to, to pivot accordingly. So, yes, it's really important to look at what the market is doing. Yes, it's really important to look at what your key competitors are doing. It's You've got to run your own race, but it's important to see what's happening. But if you're not focusing on what your immediate customers are telling you, particularly the customers that are driving the most amount of spend, then it doesn't matter all of this great stuff that you know. You're not going to be able to drive the business forward in the way that you want.
0: Right, that's a very valid point. And again, you know, like they essentially drive the growth of that business, those top, you know, let's call them the VIP customers, right? So yeah. their feedback and insights is, is critical to product, you know, performance or even the way that you personalize, I guess, their experience, right? So they don't leave you to another brand, which is something I think we found is, you know, personalization and that feeling special was something that was critical, especially during COVID, yeah, because you, know, you know you said it earlier. We're all stuck there on front of the couch, you know, on our Instagram and, and, and Facebook and all social social media platforms. And at the end of the day, if you know, if if the competitor captures their attention at a permanent time, where they're not necessarily happy with your brand, they're gone. Yeah, uh, they'll make the shift in in seconds or minutes, right? So it's a very definitely a very valid point. You mentioned an interesting point before around multi working with multiple agencies, and I'm just I'm just curious, right? Do you find that? If you appoint a different agency for a different discipline, that there's a, a bit of a blame game that g- goes on, right? Because it's you know one is blaming the other around performance. Well, if it wasn't if it wasn't for their creative, this wouldn't have happened, and yada yada yada. Yeah. Do, do you typically find that at a from a from a client perspective?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I sta- <laughs> I, I, so I sta- it's a bit of a
0: controversial topic,
1: right? <laughs> well, no, because in, I, I guess the reason why I'm, I'm I'm pausing a little bit is that I feel that, I feel like I've got a, a relatively objective perspective on things, right? So I start off my career working for technology companies, which were essentially agencies. So I worked at Hitwise and then I worked at Adobe, right? So I managed client relationships. So I I managed the, the paid search activity and the, the programmatic, and then we moved on to paid social. And as a, an agency, you would only see one piece of the puzzle, right? You'd only really have one conversation with the client based on the specific channel that you were optimizing for them, right? And then I've also worked on the client side where I can see that when I speak with one particular agency, there's actually a lot more layers behind the background that they're not across, right? So I've always felt that ultimately the responsibility always needs to lie with the client right? Because the client has the full context. The client knows the business strategy. The client knows the objectives that we're working towards. The client knows what needs to happen and when it needs to happen, by. right? And then their responsibility is to direct the agencies accordingly. Like, yes, agencies cr- provide strategy and the strategy that they provide is hugely important, right? But at the end of the day, they're executing the business strategy that's being directed to them. They're not creating their own strategy. They're executing a strategy that's already been preset, right? And working on the client side, that strategy you work on for months and months and months and months and months. So by the time it gets to the agency, it's pretty robust, right? So if there are issues with the agency relationships, yes, it can sometimes be on the agency around resourcing or around expertise or whatnot, but it's usually because the client hasn't managed the situation as well as they possibly can. Right. So we choose agencies because we want, we want agencies that focus on a specific area and do that better than anybody else, at least in our opinion. Right. So we don't work with one agency across everything. We work with specialist agencies across a lot of different stuff, but our responsibility as the client is to ensure that there's an open dialogue, that there's, QBRs, there's catch-ups, there's meetings across creative to segmentation to audiences, all of the things that need to happen well for a campaign to be successfully implemented. And the expectation needs to be set that agencies need to speak to one another, right, because it takes more than one person to create a good campaign and everybody should be as proactive as they possibly can to, to get things off the ground. But I've always felt that ultimately the responsibility of something being a success is the client. And if it's not a success, nine times out of 10, it's because the client hasn't managed it effectively.
0: That's a great response. Great response. And I I think that there is a, there is a culture between agencies where they almost feel like they, they step on each other's toes. And, you know, you, you mentioned there, you know, like being able to be on the same QBR together. Right, it's it's not like you're exposing IP that the other agency you know might grab onto. It's that at the end of the day, the outcome is for the client, right? That's the common denominator. It's not about this agency is going to steal something that you're producing or an IP or a piece of information or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I I think the responsibility sitting with the client makes a a lot of sense. And where applicable as an agency, we need to always be conscious, I guess, of the fact that we contribute to that overall business approach or that business outcome, right? Um, and that when things don't necessarily go to plan, that it can't just, you know, fall everything on just the agency itself, right? There's, there's generally, you know, mo- multiple yeah, moving parts. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, I yeah. I think yeah. the, the end
1: result doesn't automatically dictate the process it was to get there right. So sometimes things just don't land the way that they want. But that doesn't mean that not all of the right things were done at the right time to to get to that result, right? So I feel that the best agencies are the guys who really try to embed themselves with the businesses they work with, right? So when I was at Adobe, that's what I really tried to do. I really tried to imagine myself as actually part of their marketing team. I wasn't the agency, I was part of the marketing team. And so I would insist on coming to meetings. I would just invite myself to meetings, right? Often they would say, no, no, often they would say, yes, right, but I felt like if I was able to build that relationship, it wasn't that traditional client-agency relationship. It was much more of a collaboration. And so I think that's that's the first opportunity for the relationship to work well. And the second opportunity is for, and for agencies, it's difficult, right, because, again, because they normally can only see one piece of the puzzle, they don't necessarily have visibility of all of the, um, stuff that's going in the background and all of the constraints or the pivots or the changes, right? They just see the end result, which is sometimes the client going, oh, my God, just fix this for us, right? We've had to change the approach, just fix it, yeah? And sometimes agencies have to do that. But I think another way to really build that relationship is for agencies to be confident to say no, right? To, to say no, to suggest something else, to bounce a different idea back at the client, Yes, it may be overlooked or decided, no, that's not the right approach. But I think where I've noticed mistakes happening in the past is that the client will say, let's do this, which is not the right thing to do, right? And the agency will do it as directed, and then the end result is not what anybody wants, right? And if you go back to the whole objective of bringing in agency, it's to bring in those subject matter experts into the business, right, to provide that capability that's not already there available to not be able to bounce ideas back and forth seems like a waste.
0: And it's a very, very interesting point you bring up, right, because I I believe it comes down to the relationship that the agency and the business have together, right, because in a lot of instances to say no to a client, whether it is in a, you know, as as a diplomatic way, a lot of uh, let's call them, you know, the client service or let's say even the performance director that owns the relationship with the client that's completely outside of their comfort zone, right? Because at the end of the day, the mentality is that, you know, we work with this client, and at the end of the day, it's you know they're directing the strategy or the approach, we and we complement it. And I find, you know, found in my uh, twelve or thirteen years of experience in the agency landscape that it's a it's that ha- it's having that hard conversation to push back with reason, yeah, right? um, and not just pushing back for the sake of pushing back, but pushing back with a solution as well, yeah. rather than just look, no, this is not going to work, right? You know, this is not going to work for X, Y reason. And this is our approach to how we can actually provide this outcome. And it takes, I think, a different level of, well, I think it's it's, it's probably experience as well to be able to have that conversation. And I mean, it I, can I, I very, can't yeah. speak on behalf of all brands, but I would imagine that
1: that's what most brands want, right?
0: They want to hear- Most of the time, yeah. Here. Yeah, most of the time. It depends, right? It depends if you've got, if, you, if someone is a, is, a, is a real driver, right and really want to own it sometimes that can be very a very difficult conversation yeah right and, and hence i always bring it back to the relationship that two people have and earning i guess that trust or that authority to be able to make a recommendation that is against what the directive is i think is is, is generally pretty pretty important yeah so cam what does the future look like over the next 12 months for, for you guys you know what's on the agenda you got big plans
1: yes i mean we we've got very big plans Firstly, we want to just make sure that we continue with our business objective of ensuring that our our pets have happy and healthy lives. We're looking at opening up new stores because we see okay, great. we see the opportunity, right? So for My Pet Warehouse, we, we opened up a new store in Moody Ponds just a, a, a little while back now. It's working really well. We have more on the roadmap this year and next year, which is super exciting. We want to continue to serve as our customers because... We've spoken a lot about marketing and driving that acquisition and driving that first customer, but really the opportunity for us, as is with all brands, over the next 12 months is to take that marketing investment that we've made to drive acquisition and really drive that retention and that advocacy of our customer database, right? So we really want to get our customers to to shop more often. We want to get them to buy more things, not just because we want their money, but because we feel like we have lots of great services and products that they can definitely benefit from. So looking at our loyalty proposition, looking at the way that we segment data, looking at our customer lifecycle journeys to ensure that we're upselling and cross-selling and telling customers about complementary products that we think that they would like, working through the VET piece, driving them into retail, driving retail into vet, all of those things to build up the basket though for the customer and really try and sell the dream because we know that if we can grab onto that customer and we can hold onto that customer, then that customer becomes immensely important and, and valuable for us as a business. So that's a really big focus for us. Um, and it's just It's just going with the knocks and the punches. Like I think what the last 18 months have taught everybody who who works in marketing or in business is that you don't know what's around the corner. And we've all learned a huge amount, right? Because so many things have changed and pivoted and you've had to go through times when you can be quite strategic. And then you've had to go through times when you have to be very tactical, right? Because there's very immediate things that need to be resolved on the fly. So just keeping ourselves nimble and making sure that we can continue to do that for the next 12 months and beyond that. And if I,
0: if you had an extra million bucks worth of budget, where would you spend it?
1: If I had an extra million dollars in budget, I would, I would actually spend it around content. I feel like personally from an online perspective and coming from a fashion background, content is king. And not only does it help drive conversion rate and build that brand advocacy, but it helps drive SEO value, authority, traffic through to the website, et cetera. So I think if I had a million dollars, I would spend the vast majority on building out really great content for our customers.
0: No doubt content creation has been very hard and a bit of a challenge over the past Mm. 18 months. Yeah, because you can't. Um, People can't experience
1: or even touch products in the way that they used to be able to. So everything's been outsourced and people are creating content from afar or people are talking about experiential things without actually living the experience themselves, um, and I think as consumers, we miss great content, right? And content is one of those building blocks to build up a brand and make that brand resonate with the consumer, and to just just to, to grab onto that consumer and keep that consumer.
0: Cam, if you had one tip. For anyone at e-commerce at the moment or for any other, you know, CMO marketing director that's listening right now, what would that be?
1: The one tip that I would have would be to really understand your customer. So understand the feedback that's coming through customer service, understand the feedback that's coming through your NPS scores understand the feedback that's coming through by quality research that you do on those customers because I think the better you understand your customers, the better you can do everything from an income perspective. You can look at the functionality on the website. You can look at the UX on the website. You can look at things like payment options. You can look at things at loyalty proposition. But without understanding what the customer wants, everything else is just
0: guesswork and assumption. I love it, mate. Customer centric. That can basically, that goes for anybody, right? Irrespective whether you're an e-commerce or you know, service-based, the professional services, whatever it may be. At the end of the day, it's that customer that's really driving the approach and the direction. Yeah. So, Cam, where where are you most active, my friend, for our listeners? Where do we find you? You're on LinkedIn. You're on Insta.
1: I mean, I, I'm on both, right? My Instagram is just photos of me and my family. It's
0: not very
1: <laughs> But if anybody wants to reach out and contact me, then I'm I'm on LinkedIn and um, yes, happy to answer any questions there.
0: Awesome. Cameron Lawson, thank you very much, my friend. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. No, my pleasure.
1: Thank you for, for having me. I've had fun.